Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. On last Sunday's show, I touched upon a a chronic and sensitive nerve with a lot of sports parents. Specifically, what do we do with those moms and dads who simply lose control of their emotions at their kids' games? Now, look, we all know this is a real concern for sports parents, as well as for the the refs and the umpires and the officials who work the games, and for the kids themselves especially those, those youngsters who are publicly embarrassed and humiliated when they see their mom or dad going nuts uh, in the stands or on the sidelines during the course of one of their games. But as we went through our discussion last week, and if you recall, it was a, uh, it was a most spirited discussion. It was my wife Trish who reminded me after the show that this topic of out-of-control parents well, there, there are deeper roots to this, and there are always two sides to every story. In other words, she, she pointed out to me and wanted to remind me that, you know, these parents, something has obviously touched them in such a way that they feel their youngster, the pride and joy of their, of their lives, somehow their youngster has been shortchanged or cheated, or the parents feel that they have, some, they have to lash out in order to somehow support or to protect their kid when it comes to their sporting endeavors. Now, to that end, this is one of the main reasons, one of the, the basic motivations that I have done this show for so many years here on The Fan. To try and to be fair and to show that, yeah, there's a flip side to all this. That is, what, what do you do or what can you do as a sports parent, when you see that, well, you feel that something is not going right or going well for your kid in sports, and it could be, well, pretty much anything. Any number of things could go wrong. For example, we've talked many times about what do you do if your youngster happens to play for a bad coach. And yes, yes, that does happen. Just like there are some bad teachers in our schools, there are also some bad coaches as well. Now, the simple truth is there are 
countless other ways in which today's sports parents have to carefully think, strategize, and navigate if they want their child to have a positive experience in sports. I mean, it's complicated stuff. We've said for years that being a sports parent today is a lot more complicated than it was 20 or 25 years ago. Now, on this morning's show, I'm going to share with you, well, some very personal examples from my own experiences as a sports parent and the kinds of disconcerting and unsettling things that uh, my wife and I have three kids and what they went through when they were playing sports as youngsters. And I do this just to let you know that as sports parents, you know, look, my wife and I spent a great deal of time talking at home about these various uh, unexpected and sticky situations and how we were going to handle them. It was not easy. And I certainly don't profess that we always had the best solutions. But we wanted, the, we wanted the best for our kids when it came to sports, and we did our best to walk that very, very fine and delicate line, that of trying to be respectful of our kids' coaches. After all, they are the coach. While at the same time, trying to do what we thought was the right thing to do for our kids and their sports. And again, friends, we'll take your calls and comments about this, please, because I am sure, I am absolutely sure that many of you have gone through similar experiences when raising your youngsters. So give me a call at 877-337-6666, because I'd like to hear from you and to share about some of the things you went through. Okay, allow me this morning to run through some of these real-world, real-life situations that occurred to my own children and how... We, my family and my wife, how we work through them. Okay, let's go through this Sunday morning confessional. First up, middle school basketball. When my son John was in seventh grade, he tried out for the middle school basketball team. Now, look, you've heard me talk many times on the show about, about John being an ice hockey player, baseball, soccer, what have you. But he was lucky to have been a good all-round athlete. And since many of his school friends played basketball, well, he did too. Anyhow, one day, he, came, and he, he tried out for the middle school team in seventh grade, and he made it. But one day, he came home from seventh grade basketball practice, and I asked him if he was going to go upstairs to shower. And John looked at me and he said, why? Why should I shower? And of course I said, well, I, I look, you went to uh, two hours of basketball practice. I assume you, you worked out hard and broke a sweat, uh, you know, during the, the, um, the exercises, and I, you ought to shower up before you have dinner. It's just uh, good hygiene. And you really should get uh, in that habit of always uh, showering after you have a, a good, solid workout. <laughs> but John looked at me and he said, Dad, I, I really didn't sweat at practice. And I was like, you know, that, that, that sounded curious. I said to him, what do you mean? He said, well, I, I just sat in the stands and watched practice. Now, I, I didn't understand what that meant. Uh, I was thinking, well, I, were, you, were you not feeling well? Were you being punished or something? And he said, no. John explained that since there were 20 kids on the 7th grade middle school basketball team for boys, 
the coach apparently thought the best way to run a practice was for the for the top 10 players to run through drills and skills on the court. Those are the kids who got a pretty good workout. While the other 10 members of the team basically sat up on the stands and watched their teammates go through their paces. And I was like struck by this. And I said, John, is this, is this, is this standard procedure for, for uh, the team and for the coach? And he said, well, sometimes on some days, the coach would allow the, the kids in the stands to come down and practice uh, for a few minutes. But for in general, for the most part, <laughs> it was the, the other 10 kids who spent most of the, the lion's share of the time on the floor going through their drills and skills. The rest of the kids, like John, sat in the stands and watched as though somehow they were going to get better through observation or somehow, I guess, through osmosis, they were going to improve their basketball skills by just observing. I found this to be a highly unusual and curious way of teaching young kids how to play the game of basketball, learning to improve one's skills by watching their friends and teammates play and not them. I, I, I was so struck by this that I decided, well, I'm going to go to the, the high school athletic director at, or middle school AD, and I, I was very, very professional, very polite about this, and I asked him if he, if he were aware of this sort of unusual style of coaching because, quite frankly, I had never seen that before, and I wanted to know if he approved it or condoned it. To the AD's credit, he, he listened patiently, listened carefully to what I had to say, he thought it was more than a bit odd, and he told me he would observe the next practice on his own. And apparently the athletic director did. A couple of days later, John came home from basketball practice. I asked if he were still in the practice of uh, sitting in the stands just watching the other, other 10 kids play on the floor. And he said, no, the coach now suddenly had all the kids on the team, all 20 of them, and admittedly 20 kids is a lot of kids to coach in basketball. But the point is the coach now had all the kids on the team running through the drills and skills uh, during the course of the two-hour practice, and he did so for the complete practice. Somehow the coach would find the ability to make sure that all the kids were working out and all going through the various uh, you know, drills and skill stations in order to work on their dribbling, shooting, free throws, whatever it might have been, but there was nobody up in the stands watching and observing. I asked, uh, I asked my son if he liked this approach more. He said, oh, yeah, of course. Dad, I mean, you really can't get any better at shooting or ball handling unless you're actually practicing on the floor with all the other kids. I agreed. Now, mind you, John was just in the seventh grade. But let's be honest, even by then, all kids know this to be true. I mean, you have to be actually on, it's not, you know, there's one thing about playing time in a game. That's different. But if you're in practice, well, that's the only chance you're ever going to have to actually learn to get better, how, how to master skills, and to even show the coach that you have some ability uh, to play the game. In this case, I'd still wonder to this day why this particular basketball coach thought this was the, the preferred or best way to run a practice by basically having half the team sit and watch the others go through the workout. Now, look, I have to tell you, we have to keep this in mind. You have to always remember that most athletic directors, 
They oversee something like 70 or so coaches in a variety of sports and, and at a variety of levels, whether it's varsity, JV, freshman, middle school, whatever it might be. And it's very, very, very difficult for athletic directors to keep track of every coach and every practice and how they are run. But I'm also convinced, quite frankly, that if I, haven't, if I hadn't asked my son about why he didn't go want to have to take a shower, I would have assumed, and probably the other parents did as well, I would have assumed that this method of having kids watch practice from the stands, that would have probably lasted for the entire season. It was just, and again, the kids aren't going to say anything. They don't know. They assume that when they're in seventh grade, they're very young. Figure this is how it's done in, in middle school basketball. Okay, that's just one innocent example of a sports parenting situation that, that obviously I went through with my son. I have others to, to share with you this morning, and I'm eager to get your stories as well. Uh, let me move on to another more complicated story, which <laughs> i got to tell you, this one I still get very angry about. This is a true story about my youngest daughter, Samantha. My, my wife and I, Trisha and I, have we were blessed with three kids. John is the oldest, Alyssa, and then Samantha. Now, my kids played a variety of sports growing up and a variety of sports in high school, and uh, obviously we were thrilled they had a chance to do so. Um, and, and, you know, because sports obviously are a huge, huge uh, part and component of my life, and I was thrilled that they all decided to play sports as well. Uh, they played at a, at a variety of different levels, and they, as I said, they played in different sports, but they all played. Okay, let me tell you about Samantha and how she was forced to make an unnecessary choice in her sports career simply because the high school, the high school where she went, refused to follow the mandate of Title IX. As I said, this still still gets my blood boiling. Okay, Sam was a, was a, a gifted all-around athlete. She loved soccer, lacrosse, baseball, basketball, volleyball, and so on. She played them all. But when she got to be a freshman in high school, for some inexplicable reason, and we're talking about the year 2003-2004, around then, the girls' soccer season at, at our high school was still being played in the spring. Now, mind you, Title IX, the landmark uh, you know, mandate from the federal government about uh, total equity in, in male and female sports, particularly at the high school level, Title IX had been passed decades earlier. But here again, the local public high school, where we live up in Westchester County, the local public high school, Byram Hills, hadn't complied with Title IX regarding the, the, the scheduling of seasons. So that boys and girls soccer both played in the fall. In other words, the boys played soccer in the, in the fall, as they had traditionally, but girls soccer was still playing, being played in the spring. Okay. There are more than 700 public high schools in New York State. But the time, by the time the Samantha was a freshman, there were only about 15 schools left in the entire state that still played in the spring. Why do you ask? Well, the usual excuse was one that of not having enough athletic fields being available in the fall season for both boys and girls to play soccer. In our town, that was just a nonsensical uh, excuse. There were plenty of fields. And quite frankly... <laughs> because of Title IX, it was illegal. Even worse, 
by continuing to play soccer in the spring, the girls at Byram Hills couldn't take part in the the very, very, uh, you know, wonderful sectional and regional and state championship playoffs, which because we're, they're only in soccer, they're only played in the fall, not in the spring. On a more personal note, as for Samantha, all this caused a real dilemma because and it was a tough, she was being forced to make a very tough and quite frankly, an unnecessary decision. She absolutely loved playing both lacrosse and soccer. But again, in our particular school district, those two sports were being played during the spring schedule. Faced with a choice to make, a decision that was forced upon her by the school not following Title IX, Sam decided to play lacrosse, and she walked away from soccer. She had played it since she was five years old, and she loved it, and quite frankly, she was terrific at soccer. It was brutal. I mean, she should ask us, Mom, Dad, why do I have to make a choice on this? This doesn't make any sense. Anyhow, as luck would have it, at around the same time this was happening, a federal lawsuit was popping up with some other school districts in Westchester County in New York where girls' soccer was still being played in the spring as well. It was evident that these schools, like Byram Hills, had no legitimate reason to keep playing soccer in the spring because it was a total and direct violation of Title IX. That lawsuit came from some soccer parents in two school districts, as I recall, Pelham and Mamaroneck, who filed a lawsuit about this violation, and in July 2004, the federal courts ruled in their favor. The time had come, time had come said the court, for all the schools in New York State to obey the law of Title IX, and that included Pelham, Mamaroneck, Byram Hills, and so on and so forth. So what did I do? I very politely went to the school superintendent in our town and reminded her that our school really needed to pay attention to what was happening in this lawsuit, and if we were smart, Byram Hills would finally make girls' soccer a fall sport as soon as possible. Superintendent, she got the message, and the school board did too. The only problem was that inexplicably, again, it took Byram Hills, not right away, it took them a couple of years to make this transition complete. So my daughter still didn't play soccer in the fall. She decided to play on the high school volleyball team instead, and she still played lacrosse in the spring. But by then, by the time she was a senior, girls' soccer was now finally a fall sport at Byram Hills, and it should have always have been. In any event, excited, Sam went to the head soccer coach, and asked to try out. The coach at the time, uh, a teacher, a very, very fine teacher, uh, very upbeat guy, wonderful, named Brian Horn. Well, she was, he was very direct with Samantha. He, she said, he said to her, Samantha, I know you're a, a fine athlete, but I just want to caution you. We have a terrific girl soccer team, and just about every girl on this team plays on an outside club team, and have done so for years. Have you played any travel or club soccer over the last two or three years? Sam acknowledged that she hadn't. She was playing lacrosse and basketball and volleyball. So Coach Horn said, well, you can certainly try out, but I just want to be upfront about the odds of you making the team. They're stacked against you. So <laughs> Sam heard this, took her chances, and what happened? She not only made the team, but she quickly established herself as one of the team's premier players. Her terrific foot speed, her skill, her athletic ability carried her and her teammates to a great season. And the coach, Coach Horn, was one of her biggest supporters. In fact, I remember in one key game, uh, the Byram Hills starting goalkeeper was injured. And Coach Horn turned to Sam, who was normally a midfielder, to see if she could play a goalie. 
not only did, did Sam throw a shutout, but she even stopped a penalty kick by one of the county's leading scorers to help preserve the win. Now, playing that one year of high school soccer for Samantha is still one of her all-time favorite memories. But the truth is, if her high school hadn't woken up to a possible lawsuit regarding Title IX, she would have never experienced that wonderful season. She would have never had the joy, the fun, the memories of playing varsity soccer in high school if the superintendent and school board didn't finally get up to date with Title IX. All right, what are your sports parenting stories? i got a few more to share with you as well, but I am going to get your calls. 877-337-6666. Let me take a pause. When I return, I'll have more to share with you, and I want to hear from you as well. Stay with me. Welcome back uh, to this uh, special session this morning on the Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. I'm basically going through some of the stories, and not by, by no means all the stories, because there were a lot of them, of what uh, my wife and I went through as sports parent ourselves, uh, you know, with our three kids. Um, and, yeah, as I, I always have said, just like anything else in life when it comes to education, you have some some really great, outstanding teachers, and you have some really not-so-good teachers, and you, most of them are in, the, in between. But you know, as a student from your own days, as, as when it comes to teachers, or more importantly from your coaches, you know which ones had the positive impact on your life, and quite frankly, there were a few that had a negative impact as well. And let me just say this, and, and friends, we're taking your calls at 877-337-6666. Uh, Trish and I chose to have our three kids go to public schools. And when we uh, did our search, uh, we knew that uh, Byram Hills High School was one of the top school districts in all of Westchester County. And we very much found that to be the case. John, Alyssa, and Samantha all graduated from Byram Hills and were all admitted to uh, top colleges. They very much received terrific educations at Byram Hills. But we all know that when it comes to sports, well, things don't go as, always go as well as planned. Now, I just told you in the first segment about Samantha and John. Let me tell you a story, a true story about Alyssa. Alyssa swam in high school, and she played lacrosse. In fact, her best sport was lacrosse, and she was very, very adept at scoring goals. But she played for a high school coach who, for some reason, maybe it was just her uh, inexperience, or maybe the coach wasn't trained well, but she always thought it was a good idea to lecture the girls on the team after every game for at least 45 minutes. Regardless of whether Byram Hills had won or lost, the girls would have to gather around the coach, sit on the ground, and listen to the coach go over each play, each miscue, and, and every part of the strategy of the game. It reminded me of what we call the post-game analysis, where parents lecture their kids on the car ride home from a game and what they did wrong and how they need to improve and so on and so forth. It's not, not a good thing to have a, a PGA, a post-game analysis. In any event, I guess this coach wasn't familiar with that, that basic concept. Meanwhile, the, the, the parents, the lacrosse parents, of course, who wanted to get their daughter home, uh, get some dinner for them, let her start their homework, well, you can only sit and wait and wait for, your, for the coach to finish her endless lecture. Uh, I can only imagine what the poor girls were going through listening to, this, to the long-winded coach. In any event, the coach must have been under the impression that, in addition, that being sarcastic and snarky was a good way to develop a strong bond with her players. Now, this sometimes happens with young coaches, uh, and it's, it's not a good thing. 
It's just not, sarcasm does not work. Coaches, if you think you're being, if you think you're, that's the way you're going to communicate with your players, forget it. It doesn't work. In fact, with Alyssa, I very much recall at the start of uh, the practice season uh, for lacrosse every spring, every girl had to run a mile uh, to show, you know, the coach that uh, they were in shape. Alyssa, who had average speed but wanted to impress the, the lacrosse coach, well, she worked all winter. She worked hard. She ran every day to improve her time in, in the, the mile. And she did by, by numerous, a lot of seconds. In fact, when she finished the mile at, at the first practice of her senior year, Alyssa had taken off something like 15 seconds from the time from the previous year. Alyssa was pretty proud of herself. The lacrosse coach, who's watching all this and obviously has uh, the stopwatch, when Alyssa came over the finish line, instead of openly praising Alyssa, she made a very snarky wisecrack to her and belittled her efforts and all of her hard work. Now, mind you, Alyssa is there with all the teammates, but Alyssa, of course, was only trying to impress the coach. But she was really hurt by these this un- unnecessary snarkiness. Instead of getting the hope for praise, she was made fun of by her coach. And friends, that's never acceptable. So Alyssa came home. Obviously, she was very upset. Listened to her. I tried to console her. What did I do? I just sat down with her and said, look, Liz, you're a senior. I would suggest you just keep working as hard as you can. Play hard for yourself. Play hard for your teammates. Yes, you do what the coach says and be respectful to her all season. But just try to understand that, that, that there are some teachers who don't know how to communicate with their students. There are some coaches who can't, or don't know how to communicate with their players as well. And that's, in truth, that's how we approached it. Coaches, of course, are educators. Again, some great, some not so good. Most of them are in between. In any event, I thought it might make sense to ask for a parent-coach conversation, but I waited until the season was totally over and complete. I held my tongue until the last game was played. I then contacted the coach a few days after the last game, asked if she had 15 minutes to spare to talk about the season, my daughter who was a graduating seater, and so on. I was very even-tempered, talking in much the same voice I'm talking to you this morning. Very even-tempered in my request, the coach, perhaps sensing some concern, asked if she could invite the athletic director to the meeting. I said, yes, that'd be a great idea. And in the get-together, with the athletic director present, I first asked the coach about the purpose of having those endless post-game talks when the girls simply wanted to get home, get some food, and start their homework. She listened, the coach did, and she admitted that perhaps at some time she was a bit too wordy, too chatty, but that in her mind she wanted to go over the game while it was still fresh in the kids' heads. <laughs> I, I didn't know how to respond to that because obviously that's not a good idea. I then asked her, what was she was trying to accomplish with her mean-spirited comments to Alyssa about Alyssa's time in the mile? Was she aware that Alyssa had worked all winter to improve her time? Did she really think that coaches should make snarky comments to embarrass her players? Was she aware that Alyssa was really hurt by that senseless comment and became totally demotivated? The coach didn't have an answer for that one. Didn't raise my voice, 
didn't scream or yell or make any threats. That was not my purpose, and honestly, it really wasn't needed. And again, the season's over at this point. And Alyssa's finished with her lacrosse career in high school, going off to college. Meanwhile, the athletic director, who hadn't said anything and listened quietly and, of course, didn't know any of the reasons as to why I was there, stepped up and said, asked the coach if all of this were true. When she acknowledged it, yes, the AD said, okay, why don't we stop here? And then he, he thanked me for coming in. And he said, uh, again, everything was done in a very even-tempered and a mild manner way. There were no histrionics, no emotions. But after I left and got up to leave, the coach and the athletic director stayed on, and they talked. I knew I had made my point. And as I got back in my car to drive home, I could look, I looked back and I could still see the lacrosse coach in the AD's office. And he was doing all the talking to the coach. Simple as that. Point is, everybody has to figure out a way to handle these very delicate, very difficult problems. But I could not, I could not in my own heart let this coach keep on doing what she was doing because I knew this was not the way you work with kids in high school in any situation. You can't use sarcasm. You can't be snarky. You have to be sensitive enough to each kid to reach out to them and praise them. As praises, I mean, we, we all learn from Coach Wooden, praise is what motivates kids, not being snarky and so on and so forth. I mean, it's as simple as that. Let me um, let me take some of your calls here. Uh, let me go quickly to uh, to – to uh, Coach Smithlin. Jack, good morning. You're on the fan. How are you, Rick? I'm okay, Jack. Um, how, how are you doing? I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing pretty good. And you know what? I, I I could sit and listen to your stories the whole hour. I mean, uh, you know, they're, they're amazing. Um, and they're all true. I will guarantee you that 150%. Oh, well, they're, they're true. <laughs> oh, I, I, I can imagine. I mean, you know, to, to handle it as calmly as you did, you know, at the beginning of my sports parenting career, um, I wasn't as calm as you were. And, you know, and, and I've learned my lessons and I've learned them the hard way, like I've said many times uh, yeah, on your show. Mm-hmm. But I had, you know, I have two sons. Everybody knows that from listening to the show. One mm-hmm. was tunnel vision, you know, wanted to pursue his athletics for as high as they could possibly go with it. Got all the way to pro baseball. Um, he was a great football player in, in, in high school. Um, he was a you know a, a a great track runner in the winter, and my younger son Alex, you know, he was not as enthusiastic about athletics, you know, as he got older. But he loved it. He loved playing the sports, and he literally played the game for the fun of it. Yep. Well, you know, me as a sports parent, you know, I guided. I didn't have to guide Zach, the older one, but I guided Alex, and you know, and Alex played a lot of sports, especially pursuing it after high school, going on to Penn State to play baseball and, 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 you know, and quitting early in his career because he really didn't want it. But when Alex was younger, a story, you know, he didn't want me to coach his team. He wanted to be known as Alex Smithlin, not the son of Jack or Sue, who was a, Sue was a great coach also in high school, or, you know, the younger brother of, of Zachary. So he went out for a select team, one of the all-star teams, and they had seven coaches on the team, seven, all fathers. So <laughs> right there, there were only two positions available as a starter. So, yep. you know, I said to Alex, do you want me to speak? No, Dad, don't speak to anybody. Don't speak to anybody. I'm going to try out. I'm going to do it. You know, I said, 
that's fine with me, but what they're doing is inappropriate. There really is. And the town allowed it at the time, and I was very good friends with the recreation director, and I allowed it to happen, and he made the team, and at the beginning of the season, he sat on the bench, you know, because three of those, now Alex was a good infielder, but a really very good outfielder, and um, three of those coaches' sons were center, left and right. And that's what I called them. That's what their first names were. So I, I said to Alex, what do you want to do, Alex? Why don't you go speak to the coach? He said, Dad, it doesn't make any sense to speak to the coach. These kids are not coming out of the lineup. Yep. So without Alex knowing it, I went to the coaches. And I had a meeting, I think, with five of the seven of them. And I said to them, listen, the first thing is, You're being unfair. These kids are at a development age. You know, he was like 12 or 13 years, 12 years old at the time. I said, these are the years that we develop them. We start, you know, molding them for their future. Well, your son, we know your son doesn't even want to play in college. I said, so what? He wants to play now. And do you think that every one of the outfielders out there is better than Alex? And not one said yes. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so I just sat there and I said, listen, give him an opportunity. Play him in one of the other two positions. I guarantee you he'll do well. So Alex fought through it. You know, me really, Alex never knew that I had gone and talked to the coaches. I don't even think Sue knew that I went and talked to the coaches. But all of a sudden, Alex, they put him at second base. They put him at shortstop. And finally, he got into the outfield. And at the end of the season, he was one of the better players if not, in my opinion, you know, probably the best outfielder on the team. And, you know, these stories, everybody can tell them. I mean, like I said, I'd like to, in fact, Sam, you can send Sam to me. I coached 30 years varsity soccer, girls soccer. She could have played for me. I had an extra bedroom. (laughs) So, you know, and we did play in the fall. Yes, of course. So, you know, Rick, these are great stories, you know. Um, You know, I'm in the process right now of writing a book. We as parents, we could write a book just on these stories. Well, and it, they were very interesting stuff. Jack, th- I, I got to take a break. Thank you, as always, uh, for, for your, your comments and calls. And, and uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, as you said, anybody who's a sports parent has stories like these. And that's the, that's the reality. The question is, and look, to Jack's point, you know, when you, when you see your youngster, in his case it was Alex not getting a chance to play in the outfield as a 12-year-old, when you're a youngster – uh, and you're, you think your youngster is somehow not getting a fair shake, uh, the emotions that boil up inside of you as a parent, I mean, your blood pressure goes to the roof. You're ready to scream. You're ready to yell. Unfortunately, as we know, some parents do that. They lose control, and that's when they start to you know, verbally abuse coaches, referees, umpires, whatever it might be. We've tried to curtail that. And again, it's still an uphill battle. But it's not like the rest of the parents don't have the same kind of in- internal anger and outrage. I certainly did. I'm sure all of you did as well. The question is, how do you handle it? And in Jack's case, he obviously said, I'm going to go and talk to the the, uh, the coaches and, and say, look, why can't you give my kid a, ch- a ch- chance to play, play in the outfield? It's as simple as that. And again, you've heard my stories, and I have lots more. But, of course, my time is limited this morning. In fact, let me take a time out. Uh, when I come back, we'll continue. I have another couple of stories I do want to share with you. I have some information, particularly regarding, of all things, ironically, girls lacrosse, which I want to pass on. And, again, we'll take your calls at 877-337-6666. 
6666. Welcome back to the Sports Edge. Uh, I, I mentioned before the uh, the commercial break, uh, I wanted to give you a quick update from the world of girls lacrosse. Now, Bill Pennington at the New York Times reported this past week about a, a new study that says, and not surprisingly, that those high school players who do not wear protective headgear in lacrosse uh, run a much higher risk of concussion than the girls who do. Um, in fact, you should know that uh, if you follow lacrosse, Florida is the only state in the nation that mandates that the girls wear protective helmets. Everywhere else in the country, it's optional. Now, this issue about protective headgear, it's been debated for years, but this new study is, well, it's pretty convincing. It, it's unique in the sense that it includes data from roughly 350,000 games and practices in more than 30 states. Reported that girls playing in states without headgear uh, had a 59% higher concussion rate than players in the state of Florida. And quite frankly, the games tend to be more dangerous than the practice sessions. Concussion rates were 74% higher during competitions, the games, among players in states that didn't have compulsory headgear uh, rules when compared to games played in Florida. So what's the bottom line here? And again, the whole idea of girls wearing uh, headwear, protective headwear, that's been you know optional for many, many years, and it's been debated for a long time, but it is, of course, has been the law in Florida for a few years. If your kid plays lacrosse and you don't want her to get a concussion playing lacrosse, you probably ought to introduce her and encourage her to wear protective headgear and have her get used to it now uh, because uh, as she gets more accustomed to it when she plays high school lacrosse, it'll, it'll make her feel like it's, it's routine. But again, something to consider. Uh, okay, let's get back to our conversation about sports, parenting issues, and personal stories. 877-337-6666. Uh, let's go to uh, Steve in Manhattan. Good morning, Steve. You're on the fan. All right. Good morning there. And uh, just want to make a general statement there. First of all, I believe in elementary schools right up to high school, there should be more sports for the kids. I used to love it when I knew in the morning before lunchtime we were going to play basketball. actually made me like school when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And I believe in little leagues today. A lot of times they're having kids have trouble to sign them up to play. They should have open uh, uh, substitution in the little league. Kid comes out of a game, let him come back in. You're going to make a little kid ride on the bench. He's not going to come back today. And the thing with I've always said, I always joked around on the fan about this, but I was making a point, and some people think I'm serious from the last time I called. When I say there are no bad coaches, there are only bad teams, get off that team, I'm just exaggerating. Of course they're bad coaches. We've mm -hmm. all had those experiences. Mm -hmm. sure. But the thing I'm saying is, you can never remove the human element out of anything. And there's a thing that's called being tone deaf. There are people, it's weird to see that in real life, and a young kid, even like your daughter in high school, if their antennas are up, they'll notice this stuff. There's also jealousy, and out of that comes sarcasm. Mm -hmm. Instead of complimenting your daughter and saying, hey, great job, you knocked off the time on there, which I would have said, you would have said, most decent people would have said, she had to be sarcastic toward her. Probably laced with a little jealousy in there. That's a factor in life. There's nothing you could do about that. But the bottom line is, tell your kids about this. Let them know that people are tone deaf. People are sarcastic and they're jealous. Sarcasm is usually rooted in jealousy. And you don't remove the human element. But you could always have different teams and go to different schools if you really have to, if your kid's really that good. No need to put up with nonsense anymore. When I was younger, I had a few baseball teams. To this day, guys said, 
that was the most fun we ever had. Yep. They say that, but we had good teams. If I told you a couple of guys were on the team, you, you say unbelievable. That's the way it was. They had we always had fun, but we won a lot of games. And that's the bottom line. You don't remove the human element. Folks. I hear you, Steve. And uh, yeah, I agree. Thank you for your thoughts this morning. And just to follow up on that, you know, uh, we talk a lot about the impact about uh, travel and club teams and how they have obviously rewritten uh, the landscape when it comes to high school sports and the impact it has on high school sports. The fact is, something we don't talk about often. It's to Steve's point is, you know, it, it, travel and club teams now offer another alternative. Uh, to kids in high school. If, if you have a youngster who's playing uh, in, in a high school situation and it just turns out that uh, for whatever reason uh, the coach is not a good fit for your kid, well, and rather than just say, well, I mean, 20 years ago, if your kid didn't play on the high school team, there was no alternative. They're just, you know, you can play pickup ball. But nowadays, there are, in pretty much every town in America, there are club teams and travel programs, and, and you can your kid can go play on one of those teams outside of school just because they, uh, they, they prefer you know, to play for a different coach in a different kind of environment. That's something that travel and club teams do offer, which, again, is a positive uh, that didn't exist uh, two decades ago. Let's, go, uh, let's continue with our calls here. Let's go to Bob in San Antonio, Texas. Bob, good morning. You're on the fan. Let me, uh, good morning. Uh, let me just tell you this. Your program is outstanding. I mean, I wake up at 5 in the morning over here in San Antonio to listen to you huh. on Sundays. <laughs> but let me ask you, why did you wait so long to complain to the coach about Alyssa? Because I felt, it, you know, as we talked about the fact we, as, at last, as uh, Steve Manhattan just called in, so, you know, there's a human element here. And I, I just knew if I went to talk to the coach instinctively uh, and, and got in the middle of the season with her, it would only have a negative impact on Alyssa. The coach would obviously, being human, would feel that somehow I'm a meddling parent, I'm intervening. Uh, you know, Alyssa, smart girl, obviously wanted to just play and, and continue on to play and not be disrupted. So I felt it was better to wait because Alyssa was playing in the games and she was playing well, it doesn't. It wasn't like a situation where she was just relocated to the bench and the coach continued to harangue her and to be sarcastic with her. She played, but again, it wasn't a very positive kind of uh, situation. As simple as that. So I decided. You know, look, there are no answers here. There's no right answers. You wait. In this case, I decided to wait. So I would. I would disagree with you, sir, because yep. I would say that you especially with the unequal balance of power in terms of the coach versus the player, I think that you are the child's advocate, whether it is in the classroom or it's in the sports team. And I think that whether the person, you know, that your child plays or not is a non-issue. Mm-hmm. I think that you have to go in and uh, bring up these issues so that you confront them in the beginning because it's unfair for Alyssa to be verbally abused or sarcastically abused. And she's an innocent child and has to submit to that. Well, and except- I think that as a parent, my position is as a parent, and I did this for my son, yeah. you have to bring it to the coach's attention. And you, that's a check on him. Well, there's because other factor too, Bob, I want to be clear about. Sure. Alyssa was, you know, at this point, 17, 18 years old. She wasn't 10 or 12. And my wife and I went to her about this, and she was, as I said, clearly she was hurt and stung by what the coach had said to her at that first practice after running the mile. And we said, Alyssa, do you want us to go talk to the coach? Now, at that point, Alyssa, 
you know, she's a smart kid, and as I said, and she's been around. She's played sports all her life. She said, no, I prefer you guys do not do that. So that's the other sort of variable in this. Mm-hmm. It's a little different when you're talking about a kid who's 9 or 10. It's a little different mm-hmm. when they're twice that old and, and they're, you know. And she said, please, I prefer you not go talk to the coach. And again, Bob, I hear you loud and clear. It isn't like we weren't torn up by this and angry about it and upset. We were, but we also decided to abide by our daughter's wishes because in the end, in the end, it's her life, not ours. And she was telling us what she wanted, how she wanted us to handle this. And, um, yeah, so we, we went in that direction. But, again, and, Bob, thank you for uh, thank you for getting up so early on on a Sunday morning to tune into the Sports Edge. That's very, very nice of you. Thank you. In fact, friends, let me also add to that line, you know, I, I received a lot of very, very wonderful positive feedback uh, about this show from you uh, on Twitter or an email, whatever it might be, online, social media. And, and it's so, so kind of you because it makes me feel like I'm, I'm really plugged into the issues that affect not only me, but obviously you as well. So I, I very much thank you, and I'm very grateful for your positive feedback about this show. Um, but again, I, I, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I have other stories as well. Uh, raising a kid in today's highly hyper-competitive sports parenting world is not easy. We know that. Um, and, 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 you know, you, you really have to sort of navigate very carefully, as I just mentioned to the last caller. Um, as, as your kid gets to be in high school, you got to basically respect what they want to do. What, what their wishes are, how much of a concern uh, you know, th- they express to you about going to a coach to talk about issues. But again, you've got to really, really plan this out. And above all, you really just can't you know, let, let your emotions run wild. You can't be in a situation where you're, you're letting your emotions go nuts uh, in public, uh, either at a game, at a practice, uh, with a coach, in a parking lot. No, you can't do that. That's unacceptable. You have to show respect, and you have to be in a situation where you know that you're the one in control of being the adult. Somebody has to be the grown-up, uh, and, and you have to make sure that you always maintain that it's in the best interest of your youngster when it comes to their sporting experiences. It's, it's difficult. It's challenging. It is hard. We know that. It's as simple as that. Okay. That's going to do it for me and this edition of the Sports Edge. My thanks, as always, to the Zoo Man, Ed R. Zooman, uh, for running the board. Uh, I, I do hope you listen to these stories, and, and I'm sure you can relate to them from your own perspectives because we all have these, these sad stories when it comes to our kids in sports. It's just the way it is. All right, that's going to do it for me. I'll see you next Sunday right here on the Sports Edge. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.
Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.